Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. This is the 226th episode of the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. In this episode, we're joined by Joe Mahler. This episode is brought to you by my shad flies. If you're listening to this podcast in early spring of 2019 and you need some shad flies for the mid-Atlantic waters, give me a call or shoot me an email or go to the store on my website, purchase some shad flies. I met Joe in person at the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival, and we decided to set up a podcast when he got home. This podcast was recorded the end of January 2019. In this episode, you are going to learn about teaching fly fishing on the water with Joe, easiest ways to teach. We're going to discuss rod grips, Joe's signature rod series, what fly lines you should use in Florida, how to cast in the wind, things in Florida that will eat you, and clowns. Hope you enjoy this podcast. This is Joe Mahler. In this episode, we have Joe Mahler. Joe, where are you right now? I am at Lake Webb in Punta Gorda, Florida. If I was going to throw a dart at Florida, where would that area be? Well, 
you know, it, it's not like Michigan. We don't really have a thumb. It's, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, in, it's just north of Fort Myers, uh, south of Sarasota. All right. And, and so basically southwest Florida. And for those who have never met you, is there a celebrity people say you look like? Well, you know, I, it used to be Michael J. Fox for about two weeks in 1982. And then uh, I, I think I went a different direction. And, and then it became Dave Thomas from the, uh, the, uh, the Great White North guys. All right. That's it. That's the best I can do. All right. We're going to picture Dave Thomas then. Yeah. Yeah. Go with Dave Thomas. All right. So we're going to try and fit in as much of what you do into this sort of allotted time. And there's going to be a lot to cover. So let's start with your background. Where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Well, I'm a Hoosier. I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, people don't think of that as such a great fishing place. But if you like, if you're a farm pond aficionado or a small creek, smallmouth guy, it's the place to be. Uh, it was it was a wonderful place to grow up and a, a great place to fall in love with uh, with fishing and in particular fly fishing. And what brought you to Florida and when did that move happen? Um, you know, my wife told me we were moving here. That's how we got here. Uh, I'd, I'd taken a, a job up in Wisconsin uh, at an ad agency. That's my background, and and uh, we were up there for two years and we were. Uh, we were sitting in Applebee's in 14 below uh, zero weather, and I think I said, why don't we just move to Florida? And the next day she had our stuff packed and the rest of it on eBay, and uh, and so that was 18 years ago, and we haven't haven't really thought about leaving since we got here. Yeah, imagine today 14 below in Wisconsin would be rather balmy considering what's going on. <laughs> right. I'm sure they would take it, yeah. I'm we're pretty complaining. Sh- we're I'm pretty sure about door. 60, yeah. I'm pretty sure we're not going to have school tomorrow just because of cold here in Northern Virginia. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. There's a second grade girls Barbie party going on upstairs in my house as we speak. <laughs> There's no school today. <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah, so you are were you a graphic artist? I'm going to go with that as your background based on some of your illustrations. Yeah, so I started out, you know, in the, you know, in the early '80s, and uh, as a designer and illustrator, and uh, you know, and, and copywriter. You know, back then, people did a lot of different sort of duties, and and uh, I had some great experience uh, early on, and then I just gradually, gradually, I I became uh, you know very comfortable with illustration, and that's what I've always loved loved doing. And you said you started with fishing farm ponds. Was there somebody that introduced you to fishing? Yeah, you know, I had a, um, I had an uncle that, uh, at, um, I'm sure I, the, the earliest photo of me is holding a, a bass in a Zebco 33. So, um, yeah, he was he pretty, pretty much thought when I was born he had a fishing buddy. Yeah. So we, uh, I and, and even today, I mean, the the stuff I fished for back then is exactly what I was fishing for today. Bass and bluegill. That's my, that's my, uh, that's what I'd rather catch more than, I mean, I live in this place. We have redfish and snook and sea trout and tarpon and I love bass and bluegill. (laughs) I can't argue with that. Ours are all frozen right now. (laughs) This is the benefit of being in your location. You got year round fantastic fishing. Yeah, we do. So did, did you have any mentors? Besides, uh, you know, the ones who, who were your uncle photographing you? 
yeah, you know, um, in, in fly fishing, this is kind of early on my, uh, I, I had a, a neighbor that my a friend of my dad's and he was sort of one of those guys that knew a little bit about everything. And I remember when I was about 10 years old, I said, you know, I, I want to fly fish. And I remember him saying, you could never do that because, you know, you don't, you don't have the attention span and, you know, or you don't have the patience. And, and, you know, actually I've, I've come to learn that it's the perfect thing for somebody who doesn't have patience because it's constant movement. And I'm always, I've always been kind of fidgety, still am. And fly fishing gave me something that it wasn't like, you know, I remember going fishing and, you know, you'd throw out the worm and, you know, I'd say, now sit there and watch the bobber. Well, that's like torture for a kid. I wanted to move. I, all I wanted to do was throw it out and reel it back in. I didn't really care about catching anything. I just wanted to throw it out and reel it back in. And as it turns out, that's really what fly fishing is. It's constant. Uh, what's the term I want to find? Constant uh, stimuli almost. Like there's always something going on. You can't just sit on your cooler like my father-in-law and just look at your shoes for an hour. <laughs> You're constantly, your eyes, your hands, your ears, everything is involved at once. Well, I've always thought it was like driving a stick shift. You know, when you have an automatic car in our transmission, you put it in gear and you drive. With, a, with an automatic or with a, with a, a stick um, manual transmission, you're, you're part of the car. You're part of every gear. You're part of every shift. And, and that's what fly fishing is. It's not, it's not it, there's nothing automatic about it. It's, it's constantly being part of that equipment and how old were you when you sort of realized yeah maybe I'm, I'm actually pretty good at this i've got this down fairly well you know i had an advantage there because i didn't know anybody else that did it so when my friends would try it i was already better and uh but i but i think maybe when i was you know 15 or 16 i kind of felt like i maybe had a had a knack for it um I certainly had. I mean, I I pretty much abandoned all my other equipment at that point. So I got used to not catching anything, which is probably the the best thing you can do if you want to be a good fly fisherman is forget about catching anything and uh, and just enjoy the enjoy the process of, of fly fishing. Was there a point when your art and fishing came together in in your young age? Were you always doodling um, drawing yeah i was always drawing fish on my on my notebooks and and that sort of stuff so yeah it was it was always it's always been kind of an obsession uh, but you know after having a career in advertising and uh it, it was sort of at the you know I'm, I'm 58 now so it was it was sort of when i was 40 and kind of getting winding down on the the hardcore advertising stuff i still work in advertising uh as an illustrator and doing comp work but um, but as I was winding down, you know, I, things got really slow. I was freelancing and my, and so I was a little bit down. My wife said, okay, well, if you could do anything, what would it be? And I said, well, I'd, I'd illustrate fly fishing, you know, and, and write about fly fishing. So why don't you do that? And that's really where that started. Um, I just took about two months and I did a bunch of illustrations of, of knots and, and, you know, fishing situations. And I've always been interested more in illustration than art and i'll and i'll explain how the art would art's what you would do if you if you're just going to paint something cool or or do something that that you know that 
you have this drive to do. And I don't, I don't feel that. What I like to do is explain things with pictures. So to me, art is a, is a language. It's how I, it's how I explain something to somebody. So I started, uh, I, I put some samples out and I uh, sent them all to, uh, to editors of different fly fishing magazines. And I got a, uh, got a few jobs, got some from saltwater sportsman and, and, um, hooked up with, uh, with Jay Nichols at, uh, at Stackpole. And, uh, he, he said something and he called me and he goes, Hey, I like these illustrations. Would you be interested in illustrating a, a knot book? And I said, sure. And we talked a little bit. And, and so we, as we got into it, he goes, well, why don't you just write the book? He said, you seem to know this stuff. And I, so, and I said, well, I'm not really, I don't, I'm not really a writer like that. And he goes, you know what, you write it and I'll fix it. And that's what we did. And, and I, I thank Jay for that. And we ended up doing two books, um, essential knots and rigs for salt water and essential knots and rigs for trout. Do you have a formal training in arts? Did you go to school to specifically learn how to do it? I didn't. My, uh, my my dad was a he was a policeman and and on and part of his job was you know those 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 drawings they do of the suspect where you describe what the guy's nose looked like uh, and his mustache funniest one of all time is from Porky's <laughs> right yeah he was a little better than that but yeah but uh, yeah he uh, and so I grew up with pencils and pens and unlimited amounts of paper and stuff around the house and that's that's what we did. You know, this was, uh, we didn't, you know, obviously I have video games back then. So it was, it was drawing and drawing and drawing. And so, uh, when I got out of high school, I got a very lucky, uh, break and, and got a job in, in a advertising department of a, a large department store in Indianapolis and kind of learned how all that went. And then I just, uh, I never really, uh, never really went back to school. I like that. I wish I could have done that. <laughs> so what sets you apart from some of the other illustrators and artists in the fishing industry? You definitely have, um, it's like a, a very lifelike colors to when you're the images of people casting. It's very lifelike. It looks like it was almost photographed and then a filter was put over it to make it look like a cartoon. Yeah, no, they're they are um, they're they're sketched. I, I work digitally. Yeah, I work from sketches. I do if you know, and, and even though there might be two or three, you know, movements or something like that, I do. I you know, I, I film somebody or have somebody film me or or whatever, and you know, I'll study study all those all those movements and pick out the key the key things that I think, and that's where the illustration comes in. Is you're deciding what people need to see to to make sense of something. And um, so I guess that would be, I, I can't imagine, well, I can because I've done things, I, I've illustrated things I didn't understand before. Uh, I remember one time there was a, there was an equestrian magazine that wanted me to do some things. I think I ended up doing a draft horse when they wanted a, a Tennessee walker or something. And I, I remember just thinking, I don't, I don't understand the subject matter. So I can't imagine illustrating casting or, you know, some of those things without understanding what it is. I mean, there's, there's, you know, wonderful illustrators that have beautiful styles and stuff, but if you don't understand what to show, and I, I, maybe that's the advantage I have, is that, you know, I understand it from a teaching aspect and also an illustration. So when did you become an instructor in fly casting? Where did that come into play? You know, when I moved to 
Florida. I, I'd always I, coming from Indianapolis, and like I say, you don't think of Indianapolis as a fly fishing mecca, but um, there's a very there's a the Indianapolis Flycasters had at the time about a hundred members, and every year they would put on a casting, uh, you know, an eight week casting course to the public, and and uh, so I went through that, and then eventually, you know, uh, helped teach that, and then uh, then you know years later when I moved to Florida. Um, you know, people would approach me on the beach and say, you know, hey, I want to learn to do that. And, and so um, I got involved with the Federation of Fly Fishers briefly, and, and they have a casting instructor certification program and went through that. And, and I would highly recommend that to anybody um, and, and got involved with some really great uh, casting instructors. And as time went on, you know, I sort of developed my own, my own sort of uh, teaching style. How would you describe your teaching style? I have become obsessed with with finding the easiest possible way to do it. I, I like to cast. I like to say um, I like to call it effortless fly casting. I like to to cast a fly with the least human movement, and uh, that's that's how. I, it, when I moved to to Florida, I started coaching people down here, and a lot of them because it's Florida, they tend to be, uh, you know, maybe a little older, and and maybe they've had some shoulder surgery, and there was. Um, one guy in particular, I'm, I was doing a casting demo at a at a sports show, and he came up and he said, "Yeah, I used to fly fish, but I can't I can't do it anymore." But I, you know, he'd been to all the great places, and I uh, and I said, "Well, hey, I can, you know, I, I don't know why I said it, but I said, well, you know, I can, I can get you going again." And he had about, you know, he had very limited motion in his arms. He couldn't couldn't raise his elbows, you know, straight out at all. And so I thought, I kind of panicked. I thought, well, what if I, you know, hurt this guy or whatever? So for three days before he came over, I went out in my yard and I casted like I was him. And, and I noticed the first thing is my casting got sharper. It got better. It got easier. And so it's a very restricted motion. I don't, I don't use a lot of arm and shoulder. I stand, you know, square as opposed to an open stance. And there's some kind of particular things that, the, the way I grip it's a little bit different and I think maybe helps. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Um, how would you grip a fly rod or how do you have your students? Yeah. So, you know, I, I always tell people there's, you know, there's no wrong way. If you, if you like the way you're doing it and you're, and you're happy, then you're doing it the right way. What I find is that the, um, I, the index finger on top, the fingertip on the, on the top of the uh, cork and uh, is is works best for me for a couple of reasons. It's, um, the, the index finger is longer than the thumb. So it's a longer lever. So I get twice the power with half the effort. Uh, it also flattens your hand. If you, if you grip it with your thumb on top, like you would grip, say a hammer or a hatchet, you tend to chop down. And, um, the other thing is that when you raise your, when you raise your hand up, if you've got the thumb grip, the rod tends to come back really really too far and so uh, if you give casting lessons probably the thing you say the most is 
stop the rod straight up, stop the rod straight up. No, you're taking the rod back too far. If you if you grip with your finger, that instantly solves that problem because it's it's kind of difficult to take your hand back too far when you're when you're gripping it with the what I call the push button grip. I'm, I'm doing that right now with my hand beside me. <laughs> you know, maybe the maybe the best thing, the 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 most the, the the highest honor that I had is I did a I did an article with uh, Lefty Cray one time for Fly Fisherman, and uh, it was a point counterpoint so to speak um article he did thumb on top and i did finger on top and um so that really made me think it through whether the benefits other than just saying well here try this this is better it made me actually lay that out and 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 actually make a a case you know for for the finger on top i had a lot of a lot of respect for for lefty and we had some great times talking about that so I imagine there's less hand fatigue. Also, when you're not gripping it, I have people that are 20 minutes into a float. They're like, oh, my hand's killing me because they're just squeezing the cork yeah. so hard with their thumb on top. And adjusting yeah. that index finger would release a lot of that tension. Yeah, the, when you when you make your, your back cast, you're, you're actually applying power to your middle finger. And when you go forward, you're pushing with your with your fingertip, only your fingertip. Yeah, I, I get really good results. I won't say everybody I teach. I do about 200 private lessons a year, and I would say at least half of them end up switching. Are there other common mistakes that you correct with your clients? That are I would say, yeah. More often and, than I, other? And, and I had some folks who were new to fly fishing out on the water today, and I'm going to say that I, I probably said keep your rod tip in the water maybe 100 times. So that would be keeping your rod tip in the water or low um, is probably the number one thing. Uh, is that uh, when, we, when working the fly or when laying down the rod, the line to cast? So I say that if you're, if, if you're not moving the rod to cast, the rod tip should be in the water. Um, that, you know, the exception that would be dry fly fishing or, you know, I mean, you might end up, you know, fishing in weeds and holding it up high or something. But, but for the most part, if I'm fishing and I'm not casting, uh, my rod tips in the water. Okay. I notice a lot of times that the people that like, like me that talk with their hands, <laughs> they gesture with their, and they're, they're looking at me and their rod tip is dancing around making this really nice little pile of slack that they have to deal with. So, yeah, so I, that would be the number one thing. The number one tip that I would say. In addition to private lessons, you also work at Bass Pro Shops teaching classes? I do a, I do a program there. I do a talk once uh, a month, the first Saturday of every month from 9 to 11 at the uh, Fort Myers uh, Bass Pro. And I've, I've done that for, for more than 10 years now. I, I don't know how long they've been open, but I, I did it since the, I've done it since the opening. And uh, do fly tying on Wednesday nights. It's a, a great company to, to be a part of. How many people usually attend? Uh, you know, it could be, it could be as many as twenty. Twenty um, is kind of a tall order. I've got a, I've got some uh, some friends around here that if I, you know, that that usually come in and they'll pitch in. But you know, it's it usually generally twelve to fifteen, something like that. Is there a large fly fishing community where you are? You know, there is, it, uh, it, and maybe more than large, I would say dedicated. You know, it's, the area supports really three fly shops. We have t 
239 Flies in Bonita, Norm Ziegler's Fly Shop on Sanibel, and uh, Westwall Fly Shop, which is in Punta Gorda. And uh, I mean that, and then of course Bass Pro. So, you know, that's really a quite a quite a bit of coverage for you know for fly fishermen. We have we have choices. And then you also have people like Drew and Debbie who come out to the events as well. They sure that's do. That's got to help. Yeah. yeah, Drew. Drew does some tying events uh, around, and that's always a big draw. And uh, you know, Debbie Hansen, uh, she she packs them in. She does you know so she does a lot of programs on. Uh, exotics and on largemouth bass fishing. Just recently, she's she's been doing the the George Poveromo uh, saltwater series. And when you two were up here in Virginia, how was the uh, the snowstorm getting home? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, it was okay. It was uh, our, you know our flights were on time and everything, but you know I think we counted uh, fifteen cars off the road by the in between the. Uh, uh, the drive from from Doswell to where our hotel was, which was not not more than you know twenty minutes away. Yeah, I saw a car that went down the embankment and then up a hill, <laughs> and it was at a forty five degree angle. I guess the bike on the roof had fallen off, but there was still a surfboard. It was kind of weird seeing a surfboard on a <laughs> roof in a snowstorm. You know that might have been a lot of fun to have a surfboard. Uh, They've probably been more efficient than than their driver. Might have been. If if that's how they drive, I don't know how they surf. Yeah. (laughs) It'd be scary. Yeah. So back, I guess I want to talk some more about Florida. What makes fishing down there just so awesome? I've been wanting to go back to Florida just to fish for since I was there last. And you know, fishing isn't isn't always great, but it's but it's always good. Um, you know, we, we have our, we have our challenges down here. You know, last year we had some, some issues with, you know, with, the with the red tide and some of the, some of the flow, you know, coming from Okeechobee and, and, those, and that, and I expect that that's going to be a problem for a, a long time. But, um, but through all that, you know, I mean, there's, there's always fishing. I mean, there's, you know, you can, uh, for me in particular, you know, uh, freshwater fishing that had no effect at all. Um, but. You know, we just have, you know, we might lose a day or two to weather now and then, but for the most part, you know, we can, we can fish about any time we want. The, I, I guess maybe the, the, the real sort of magic part about Florida for me is that there's, there's always a plan B, C, and D. You know, if you, if, if you're, if you're some places, you know, that's like, oh, well, the, the, the stream's blown out. I, I can't fish. Well, maybe we have red tide, but maybe we go back in the, you know, we, we fish up in the creeks or maybe we go someplace else or maybe we go to the Everglades or maybe we come here to Webb Lake or we fish canals, which is a um, just a whole other whole other culture of canal fishermen down here. We have hundreds of miles of canals and, you know, people will come down, they'll, you know, be driving around. They'll say, well, now, is there fish here? Is, is there fish in that? And the answer is always yes. There's fish everywhere. I mean, there's a, you know, within a minute from my house, there's a canal that has fish in it. And so, you know, you step out and you, you catch a few or, um, you know, we, we fish, uh, the weirs a lot when the, when the rain comes up, uh, these little dams and the water flows over and the fish just stack up in there. It could be, um, it could be anything from bluegills and bass to tarpon and snook. And, uh, it's pretty, 
pretty cool, pretty quirky fishing. It's not maybe what you would think of coming to Florida, but uh, there's no uh, no end to it. I'm assuming just like an eight, six or eight weight kind of covers everything. If you're going from A, B to C, these all seem like you don't really have to change your gear too much to be able to access multiple species in a variety of bodies of water. You don't, you know, and, and, and a six, if you have a six and an eight, that will cover just about everything. Typically people, when they come to Florida, they'll bring a nine or a 10 and, and, uh, and the fly shops love that because they end up leaving with an eight. Um, because a, a nine is, you know, a lot of what we do down here is blind casting and a nine tends to be a little heavier. And we just, the, maybe the biggest misconception is the size of the flies that we typically use down here. I, you know, people show up and they'll, they'll have these flies that are, you know, eight inches long and, you know, two odd hooks or something. And for the most part, we'll use a size two or four hook. Maybe the, the flies are, you know, three inches long. So the, that would probably be the, you know, the, um, the biggest thing, you, you know, certainly you could land a, a 50 pound tarpon on a six weight, but you'd, you'd have a hard time throwing that, that big tarpon fly. So, you know, maybe if you're going to tarpon fish, that would probably be the exception, bring something bigger, but for the most part, bring a six for freshwater and an eight for, uh, for the salt. So let's say someone doesn't have one of those rods and they, they want to pick up a rod that was designed <laughs> to fish down there. Wh where would they go? <laughs> I would order a. I would go to RileyRods.com and I would order the Joe Mahler Signature Series, either Lily Pad, which is a five six, or the Cypress, which is a seven eight weight, and uh, that that will that will pretty much do it. Now Debbie Hansen has one that falls in the middle. It's called a True Seven, and uh, that would be a, a, another excellent choice. I really like the colors on those rods too. They're just <laughs> that different. Was the, it was the most fun, yeah. And and that came from when when I got the opportunity to, to design these rods, and I use the rod, I use the word design very loosely. I, I described the action and had some input on on that, but and and did some kind of funny things with the cork. And but really picking the colors was important because you know before you know I've 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 had rods that I've liked, and it's like well if I if I like the eight weight, I'll get the seven weight and the six weight. So what I end up is I end up with a handful of, you know, gray rods. And, you know, if you're like me and you tend to it's like, hey, I'll just throw it in the car and I'll sort it out when I get home. You've got all these all these parts that you have. You, well, which tip goes with which rod? So I've eliminated that. The other thing is that when you're in the boat and you have you have these rods and maybe you want if you're if you've got somebody out with you, you, you say, OK, well, grab the grab the seven weight. No, no, grab no, the, the other one. This way you say grab the orange one, grab the green one, grab the blue one, and uh, that really, really helps. Did they, so they approached you to design a rod for Southwest Florida? Is that um, how it just so, came to fruition? Well, that's an interesting question. I was, I was at the Virginia uh, Wine Festival and fly, fly Fishing and Wine Festival, and I was there with New Canoe doing a, a, dem, a casting fly fishing demonstration for using New Canoe kayaks. I had no particular rod affiliation. I've worked with a few different companies over the years, but yeah, I, I, I don't even remember what I had with me. And I, and I did the demonstration, and, and Chuck Kraft, who you know, um, came up after the program, and I didn't know him at the time. And he came up and he said, he goes, I, he goes, I really enjoyed your program. And he hands me a rod and he goes, use this one for your next, for your next show. 
So I thought, sure, whatever. And so I did. And I got to tell you that the that the seek the, the Riley CK um, six weight that I was using, actually it was a seven with a six weight line, is the 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 smoothest rod I've I've ever cast in my life. And I you know and, and it's a, it's a slower more medium action um, rod that uh, which which I prefer I prefer to teach with them. I prefer to fish with them. It, it's uh, I go back to the effortless thing. You know, I like a rod that will nearly cast itself, and uh, that rod certainly does. It's a pretty and good so endorsement. There, you pick it up once and you're sold. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I went right over to and introduced my Chris self to Chris Riley, and I said, "These are absolutely beautiful rods." And and we we kind of had a conversation, talked on the phone a little bit, and and uh, and I, honestly, I can't remember how the subject came up. I, I, I may have given him ever every opportunity to bring it up, but uh, um, no, I, I that was that was always kind of a, a dream for me to design a rod, and and it, it has been nothing but uh, but a blast uh, doing it. I, I love I love demonstrating the rods, and 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 you know like like any good product, it's it sells itself. If you can get it in somebody's hands, chances are they're they're going to uh, they're going to like it. And with these rods, what are some of the flies that you're throwing down to those multiple species? Are there some common yeah. ones? And I know you've got your own, um, like the straw boss. So what, what's do. the sort of style and technique of, of the flies and, and how do you fish them? Yeah. So um, I fish a lot of poppers. I love fishing poppers. I love, you know, I'd, 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 I'd take less fish if I can catch them on poppers because I love the explosion and the... And so I, you know, we fish, you know, fairly, fairly large poppers. I'm going to say the size two hook. Um, you know, we, I, I like, I like cork body poppers. Um, you know, the foam, the, um, the foam poppers that you cut with the, the Gary Krebs jigs are really nice. Tie some of those. I don't use a lot of heavily weighted flies down here. We don't typically have really deep water in you know, some places, but not, not the places I fish. So I, I rarely fish a sinking line. Uh, it's almost everything we do, even in the salt, we're fishing uh, floating lines. Is there a line brand preference or model that you prefer? You know, there's there's some really good ones. I really like the Scientific Anglers uh, uh, inf Infinity or Affinity. I can't remember which it is, but uh, that's a really nice line that I, I've just recently started using. You know, wolf lines are, are gosh, they're all they're all pretty good. The airflow line is a is probably the best line for uh, for selling rods because it has a it has a unique uh, finish to it. Uh, it and people generally catch you know find that they can cast the line a little bit easier with that. I'm I'm not a fan of of overlining rods. That's why I uh, do a five six. I, I use a five weight on my six weight line or rod a lot i don't i i don't i don't really care for what a lot of fly lines do when they make their redfish line or something where it's two or maybe even three sizes heavier i don't i don't think it helps it helps the caster get better the diversity of fly lines now is kind of obscene it's fiction i mean the, the ratings are fiction so the only way you can do it is put it on and try it that's it um, what the thing that I that I think probably, and I, I know people who routinely overline their rods and they say, well, I like to I like to feel it. What they 
what they don't realize is that that's that, that they're actually limiting themselves because you know that maybe that that rod is designed to to cast it let's say 50 to 70 feet well if you overline it and then you go to to cast that 70 feet it's it's too much line for the rod so you're actually the case can be made that if you want to cast farther put a lighter line on because it'll the it'll maintain the integrity of the of the rod uh better I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. And being so close to the ocean, do you have a lot of wind issues? We always have wind issues. Yes. You know, I and I tell people it's it's really like being a sailor. I, I'm not a sailor, but I've always admired how people that sail understand how to use the wind to their advantage. And that's what you do in fly casting. Uh, I would always rather, I would always prefer to fish with the wind in my face rather than my back, which um, I, I agree. I, I, I see people all the time. They'll say, well, I want the wind at my back. If, if, if I'm going to hook myself, it's going to be because I've got the wind at my back. Yep. And I, you can I did always... that the first time I really went saltwater fishing in college and I was casting with the wind and I got a clouser lead eye, the square of my back <laughs> that hurt. I know the feeling. Yeah. 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 We get yeah, a lot so of I'll... wind out here. It's, I want to say it's become more windy the last couple of years. Is that right? We had a storm last year, bluebird skies, but 60 mile an hour wind for about two days straight. I'd never seen anything like it before. Absolutely beautiful blue skies, but just a howling wind for two days. We're going to have some pretty bad wind tonight. We're supposed to lose power. Well, now, so are you on the are you on the river with that kind of wind? Is that, I mean, does yes. that really affect the fishing? Or? I despise being in the drift boat if there's any kind of wind, because my clients will hook a tree and I go to try and you know get it out, and the wind just I can't stay in place even if I try to drop the anchor, it just blows us all over the place or blows us into other people's boats, and then you get angry people coming out. It blows us <laughs> into docks. And then there's parts where we're fishing just really open spots on foot. And it could be crazy windy. And then it's tidal so that water can just get blown right out. Mm-hmm. So you're, you can have a low tide three or four hours before you expected it. And then you just got to turn it in for the day because there's no water to fish. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's the, that's the, the tricky part of, of fishing down here uh, in salt is that um, – you know, people will they'll get the they'll get the tide chart and they'll say, "Well, yeah, well, the high tides at at eight and low tides at noon, so I want to be there at 10. Well, maybe you do, but I mean, the best the best anglers I know take all those things into consideration. Take the take that wind in and 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 understand all those all those those details that that can make. Uh, and I don't necessarily have those skills, uh, but I know people that do. So that's that's just as good. One thing I do when we have a huge windstorm, if I can get out, I'll go explore the spots where I guide, where the tide's all blown out, and I can go see the structure and just mm-hmm. how the current's going to move based on the substrate. And I also pull out a lot of lures. Yeah. Right, so I want to talk about your straw boss. That seems to be okay. one of your more well-known flies. How did you conceive the idea and then create a kind of neutrally buoyant pattern? Yeah. Well, that, that, you know what? I wish I could say it was easy, but it took, it took a number of years. Back in Indiana, there was a, a fly which was a reverse deer hair. It kind of looked like a, really like a Zeppelin. 
and it was it was called Everett Drake's Wounded Minnow, and it it was a it was a bass bug. It was a floating fly, and I always loved the look of that of that. You know, he would Everett would who's long long past, but he um he would he would take a um, a twenty gauge shotgun shell and push the hair back. And it was it was kind of a brutal brutal fly to tie, and he'd use shoemaker's uh, twine to tighten to tie this with, and I always loved that fly. Well, I was uh, when I was fishing uh, down here I, in Okeechobee. Okeechobee is not, in my opinion, a good topwater lake. It's great if you fish shiners, but you, uh, which I don't. But that's a way to catch them there. It's not a great lake for going out and throwing poppers, which I was kind of used to doing and and I, I wanted a fly that went down below the surface and uh but did the same sort had that same sort of shape and so i put uh, instead of tying it with with uh deer hair deer body hair i uh when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply start tying it with bucktail and which is you know which is denser and and doesn't float like uh like deer body here and i tied half of it on and and so i was tying those and i thought well just i'll just tie half and and then when i tightened it i noticed that the um that the little that the butts flared out and kind of made these wings and so i sort of went with that and and over time i started tying them upside down so the uh, so the hook point would uh, would ride up um, and then it, it became uh, my favorite bonefish fly for a couple of reasons. One is that when it when the when the fly settles, the wings the, I'll call them wings kind of make the fly tilt back and forth on its way down. Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, with scud weights that you would use in trout fishing. Um, uh, the ones that, you wrap onto the shank. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It looks like a crescent roll. It looks like a lead crescent roll. And uh, so that's what, so that's tied on the belly. Uh, I used to use lead wire, but it would build the fly up widthwise as well as heightwise. And I really only wanted that, that belly on the bottom. I wanted to control how the weight was distributed and how, you know, it had a lot to do with how the fly sinks. And then I, on the top, it has kind of, I did kind of an odd fly tying uh, ingredient, but I use, I use foam finger tape, next care foam finger tape. And I put nine folds back and forth, uh, so so it's it's actually I, I you remember the McDLT that McDonald's oh, had yeah, the, hot side the two hot separate sides cool side cool that's what I've got going here I've got the lid on the bottom and I've got the foam on the top and that's that's how I control the sink. The other thing that 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 actually that uh, that when that I don't think fly tires consider a lot is the hook that they use and how that and how that affects the sink. So, you know, I, I would vary the hook depending on what on what I'm going to be doing. Um, but but the the wings. So what happened? What I noticed was in, in bone fishing is that when the when the flies on the bottom, I, I made the fly. So I think it takes up the biggest footprint of a fly of its size can. It has it has greater width than than most. 
And so when the fly sits on the bottom and it's stripped, it makes a big cloud as opposed to, say, if we have a clouser minnow, it's going to make a little puff. Mm-hmm. And the one I've got is going to make like three times uh, the that that cloud. Look um, a little more, the, more alive to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and uh, and I, I've had good luck with it for that. I use it for for redfish down here fishing, you know, mud and sand. Do you have a color preference for different species you're targeting? Yeah, you know, I I almost always start my day off with white. Um, if I can, if if they're hitting white, and and the reason that is because I can see the fly. Uh, if I can see the fly, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get twice the hookups because I'm just gonna see the fly disappear. Uh, a lot of times you won't you won't feel the strike. A lot of times they're hitting the fly as it's on the fall, so you're not necessarily gonna gonna see anything other than the fly disappear. Uh, I like white. I like um, I've I've got some crawfish patterns, uh, red and white. I'm kind of old school snook. You know the the chartreuse and hot orange. The 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 fire tiger combination I think is is good, but it it's my it's my go to fly and so, and and I don't want to be one of those guys that says oh you know my fly is the best and I it'll catch everything, but it's it's the one I have the confidence in. It's that's the one that works the one you believe in. That's it yeah and I, and I think you could probably do that with a lot of different flies and. Uh, and go with the one that works. And sometimes I'm surprised at different at different color combinations. We have uh, I catch a lot of pompano on uh, on orange and and yellow. And so I started using that in fresh water, and it works pretty well. So the, the diversity of fish you get to fish for I mean, pompano. You're talking about fishing them for bonefish and bass. That's just criminal. <laughs> There's always something biting. That's yeah. that's that's now, that's it. Yeah. Do you have to worry about gators and poisonous snakes? And I know there's huge orb spiders down there. What do you encounter in that tropical climate that might scare yeah, well, some people out and make you worried? Well, I spend a lot of time in the Everglades, and 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 like a lot of people, the best thing that I think that that you could do if you visit Florida is take a swamp walk, go to go down the Everglades and go to the park and, and go on a swamp walk with a, with a tour. It'll, it'll change the way that you, that you think about this. Once you're, once you're walking through waist deep water and you're walking between cypress trees and you know, it's, you, you'll never view it the same way again. And I won't say I'm not, you know, concerned about those things because, you know, the, you know, the animals can be unpredictable, but, I've never had an issue, and the only the only really time I ever have had an issue was completely my fault. I was fishing on the canal on a canal down in uh, down along Alligator Alley, or actually along Forty One, and um, my friend hooked a hooked a tarpon, and it was it was a small one, but he'd never caught one before. He wanted a picture of it, so it's like okay, we'll we'll land this one. And as we pulled it up, the the gator came sliding up, oh you know, to, to get it. And it, it came up to it, to nine feet away, and I, I know that because I took my rod and I tapped him on the nose, <laughs> and, and and when I did that, he came he came up the bank at like this ferocious speed. I jumped over the guardrail and ran down US 41 for about a quarter of a mile, <laughs> and uh, so I you know, but again, if you know, 
totally, totally my fault. I've never, never had an issue. I mean, I've had something to get nosy and you have to be careful at, at certain times of the year. And, you know, in the spring when they're, uh, when they're mating, they get a little bit, a little bit, uh, aggressive. Do you but, make your clients walk first to go through the spider webs? <laughs> no. No, so paddling through the the mangrove tunnels, we have these silver mangrove spiders, and they're they're you will go through, and there will be seriously not hundreds but thousands of them, and you can look up, and there'll just be a canopy of spiders and spider webs above you, but they're completely harmless. You'll get them in your boat. You'll get you know, and once you get used to that, and the good thing is that that'll keep that'll keep ninety percent of the people out of your you know out of out of those those places so yeah put up a sign that just says danger spiders and, and no one's gonna yeah. go in there yeah uh as far as you know uh, I, i've seen in in my 18 years down here i've seen um three uh cotton mouse in the wild i've seen two rattlesnakes and none of them were you know it was you know i, I have snake boots that i wear sometimes but i can't say that i've ever ever needed them so all those things are pretty, they're, they're pretty smart and they're pretty, um, they're pretty determined not to interact with you. How do you protect yourself and your clients from the sun? Yeah, I, you know, I, I have a, um, I have a big wide brimmed hat that, uh, I got from the San Francisco hat company. That's, uh, it, it floats and it's, it's UV, whatever. So I, I wear it a lot. Um, I don't know that I'm the best at putting on sunscreen. When I do, I use the um, the, uh, the the clear. Uh, what do they call it? What's the white? The clear zinc. Mm-hmm. Um, I use clear zinc, and because I'm I'm not I'm not comfortable with all the maybe chemicals that are in you know some of the some of them. Maybe you're better off taking the yeah. sun. And it's just not good for the water. I know in Hawaii they're trying yeah. to ban sunscreens. Yeah. That are poisoning the coral reefs yeah 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 so i so yeah um like i said you know i wear long sleeves i you know wear a big hat i don't know you probably get pretty thirsty down there uh yeah i mean you know we always take lots of water you don't want to be caught without you know without water i i tend to drink a lot the night before and the in you know in the morning and and don't really think about it too much during the day I'm always embarrassed if I run out of water and have to ask my clients for some. To me, that's just like a <laughs> complete guide fail. <laughs> well, that kind of is. Yeah. Yeah. What are some other really interesting things about fishing in Florida that somebody who's never been there just wouldn't think to yeah, think about? Y- you know, I, what's what's really amazing to me is is the the range of of really bizarre things that you can catch. I mean, after you, you know, after you've caught a number of snook and a number of you know redfish or whatever, then it's like, well, what's what's really you know quirky that I can catch, and and that's what I love about going down to the Everglades. You know, fishing. Uh, there's some great fishing that you can do if you have a canoe or a kayak. Just you can go off of uh, Alligator Alley, which is 75. There's some great launches there. You can catch peacock bass and oscars and cichlids and gar and uh, chain pickerel. You catch bowfin, which is maybe my favorite fish. Tell me about uh, fishing for those. That's again, I've never encountered one that's not been pickled in a laboratory. 
<laughs> and I know they're just super aggressive and they'll flare their gills and that's and they've got a very bony underjaw, the gular plate. That's that's all I remember. They they do. Yeah, it's it's the and, and they are they are just absolutely ferocious and fearless. And you'll see them. We'll see them, you know, four feet away from the boat. And uh, uh, you can some, some they're pretty smart. I mean, you, they don't always take a fly or something, but you can, you know, but sometimes they'll, they'll just hit it out of anger. I, I love their eyes. They have a, they have a cat's eye. It's not round. It's it's kind of pointed and like a like a cat. You know, if you get one in the boat, it's it's usually a circus, and you try we try not to do that. But if, if somebody catches a big one, you know, eight or ten pounds, and you want a picture, well, you 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 got to do it. And, uh, boga grips? Yeah, uh, I don't own a boga grip, but I, sh- I you know what? That's a good idea. I should get one of those. I usually just just hang on for dear life, and you know try and get the spot get the shot before it flips out of their hands yeah but, uh, i've i've learned from the northern snakeheads up here that grips and pliers are the way to go i don't deal with my hemostat <laughs> anymore <laughs> yeah yeah um you, you know they, they 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 certainly can you know can can do some damage so i'd be very careful with them but uh but that said they 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 fight like crazy and they're uh they'll hit poppers occasionally they'll hit you know minnow patterns they'll hit um, you know, a, a variety of things. And when you are not fishing or concentrating on the fish, do you go over a lot of just the other wildlife, the birds, the flowers, just the ecosystem down there has always intrigued me. There's yeah. so much to see and be distracted by. There is. And in, in fact, it, that's an interesting um, question. There's a, a, a fellow that I take out every year. He's, he's 80 years old and his name's Julius from upstate New York. And he's a he's a, a an avid birder, and but he but he he likes fly fishing too. So I you know I'll bring him out, and in fact we've had him up here at Lake Webb, and and he's he will not watch the water. So I have to tap him on the shoulder to tell him when he has a strike. It's because he's always looking up at, at the birds, and uh, and he always manages to 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 hook into one. But uh, but I've learned more uh, from from bird watchers down here about about birds. We have. Right now, there's a where where I am. There's a, a beautiful, uh, uh, well, three uh, uh, sandhill cranes with a nest out here that I see. That's a big and, bird. Uh, they are, they are, and they're they are not bashful. If I get too close, and I, I give them a wide berth, but if I uh, if I get my boat too close, I hear about it right away. Do you know where they're coming down from to spend their winter, or are they? Local? I don't. I mean, I've seen I them in Colorado. Some of them, some of them are residents. I've seen them down here all year, but the but the ones that I'm seeing now are they're they're bigger than than the the ones that have been here year round. So with all the exotic fishing you have and, and birds, and I know you got like probably hibiscuses around your house. Where would you go on vacation to go fishing? Seems like you've kind of got everything there, but yeah. they say the grass is always greener. <laughs> if you you're going to take I, a vacation, where, where's a destination for you? You know, I would say that I would go, uh, the, the thing that I probably miss the most that I wish that we had, uh, is our smallmouth bass. So I would probably come to Virginia or I, you know, maybe I, I had a great trip up to Cliff Lake in, uh, in Canada last year. And, 
I, I love smallmouth bass. I, I just love, I, you know, I love how they eat. I love how they, they fight everything about them. We might be doing a, a little trip up to Weatherby's Lodge this summer. Some of the plans that have been going on at the last two shows, some brainstorming just to chase smallmouth. And where's that? It's northeast Maine. It's up, it's up there. I think it's oh. 16 hours from D.C. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, now, are you fishing in, the, in those big canoes? And Yeah. It's oh, like the yeah. Atlantic salmon, landlocked salmon slash smallmouth fishery up there. Hmm. And you're just there, away from everything, which sounds awesome. Now there was a there was a book that uh, I read recently. I can't remember the uh, the name of the book or the author, but it was it, he was a a lifelong guide up there, and all these are just it's a collection of little stories that happened at the lodge. Anything else about your guiding and teaching and rod and fly design that we missed before I go to some other non sort of not as much fishing related questions? Yeah, you know, I would I, I would say that the, the the you know, and I use the word guiding loosely. Um, primarily, what I do is teach fly fishing on the water. Um, when you when you say guiding, you're you're implying that you might catch something, right? <laughs> and and I really I really focus on the skills. You know, the nicest compliment that that I got is one guy that I take out, you know, a couple times a year. He goes, you know, every time we come back to the to the launch. I have skills I didn't have when I showed up. And so, and, and that really is, I, I think about that a lot. And I, when we rewarding. when we come back in, I think, okay, I want to make sure they have skills that they didn't have this morning. Yeah. All right. Let's do some, uh, some not so serious fishing questions. Are you related to anyone famous? Um, n- no, I don't think so. All right. A lot of people have asked me over the years if I were if I'm related to, to Gustav Mahler, the uh, uh, the composer, and I am not. So that's as, maybe as close as I can come. Yeah, there's not too many Snow Whites around, which is odd because Bruce Corwin of Solares, he actually knows one of my cousins from when they grew up together in uh, the Bronx. <laughs> there's not a whole lot of Snow Whites out there. Yeah, yeah, um, interesting name. Yeah, what's your favorite album? Uh, my favorite album would be Rhapsody in Blue, uh, George Gershwin. Okay. If you had one deli meat to eat for the rest of your life, what would you pick? Well, pastrami, of course. Good choice. If you had a superhero power to make you a better angler, what would you choose? Oh, uh, boy, that's an, that's interesting. I would say um, I would say underwater vision. Nice. If you had one species of bird to tie with for the rest of your life, what would you choose? Uh, one species of bird. Well, gosh, you know what? I love, I love peacock hurl, and um, I love the look of it. Um, I'm going to go peacock. I like that one. Do you have any just absurd phobias? Not crazy about clowns, to tell you the truth. Yeah, that's an easy one. Uh, medieval fairs, I guess, you know. You like Ren festivals? No. Medieval. What? You said medieval fairs. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean like the you clowns know, like, from them? Like the jester? No, I don't, really none of that. None of that. Okay. Yeah. 
What would you tell someone that's just going to start out in fly fishing? I would say learn from somebody who is patient. Um, don't, don't let other people ruin it for you. And, uh, you know, if, uh, that, and that, that's so important how somebody gets started because I, and I, I've seen this a lot and I've, I've had a lot of, uh, people that have, have called for lessons. You know, maybe it's a, a wife that said, yeah, you know, my, my husband tried to teach me, but you know, uh, you know, and it, but that, but that first, I would say, look for the right person to learn from. Look, look for somebody who thoroughly enjoys it and wants to share it. Where's the best sandwich you've ever eaten? You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say that I'm, and I'm going to, I'm going to go loose on that sandwich thing. I'm going to say the very best, uh, is Sushi Rito in San Francisco. Sushi it's Rito. A, sushi Rito is a, is a giant sushi rolls. Uh, you know, they're, you know, yeah. So that would be my, that'd be my favorite. Okay. Is there a food you will not eat? Um, you know, I don't, don't like the, don't like tongue, liver, kidneys. Uh, I'd stay away from that. Yeah. I'm not much of an organ meat guy. I do eat a pate no. if I've had a couple no. glasses. Yeah, no, you can, you can have mine. So, yep. What's the strangest thing you've ever seen on the water? Strangest thing. I saw a cow floating one time. Alive? In Tennessee. No, no, it was bloated and, and, and dead. So I, you know, maybe, maybe that's it. That is pretty weird. That's definitely yeah. strange. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. let's go with this is the last one. Uh, hot dogs, ketchup, or mustard? Oh, mustard. Nice. All right, Joe Mahler, where can listeners find you if they want to book a casting lesson or go to Bass Pro to one of your talks? Yeah, I'm, I'm easy to find Joe at joemahler.com, M-A-H-L-E-R. That's an easy one. They can one. find Everything they need right there. And what about like say, your books? If they want to purchase some of your books, purchase the, the books. You can you can get them online. They're published by uh, by Stackpole Books. You could uh, essential knots and rigs for trout, and essential knots and rigs for uh, salt water. And and they're they're handled through Bass Pro. They're, you can go into uh, most Bass Pros and and pick one up. Load up on moon pies and get a book. <laughs> I've had a few moon pies. You know, one thing my daughter doesn't like them, so I'll get a box at the dollar store and I'll end up eating the whole thing. Yeah. I do like yeah. them. And I haven't microwaved them in a while. That's always a treat. Oh. Have you put they one in a microwave? They swell up, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they grow. <laughs> it's like science fiction. They'll get 10 inches tall. They look like a sandwich from Katz's Deli. <laughs> All right, Joe. Well, I appreciate the time and thanks for hanging out and answering some questions and just letting us all get to know you better. Well, thanks so much for having me. I thoroughly enjoy that, and uh, and uh, I, I, I really enjoy your, your podcast. Thank you. All right, Joe. Well, have a great afternoon, and enjoy the warm weather down there. Okay. Thanks right, a bunch. Cheers. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com.
This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.